and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way. First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch. You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow. I like the laptop bags myself. Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime, or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Julio runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex. That's it. That's our intro. Now, time for the show. This is And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for Ghosts of Mars. Hello, and welcome to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by my friend and co-host Julio. Julio, have we, outside of Halloween, dipped our toes into the pool of John Carpenter previously on here before? Uh, no, no. I, th- I think that the the unspoken thought was that, uh, why bother? <laughs> Halloween is your number one movie. <laughs> That's and true. So anything else we did from John Carpenter would be uh, not necessarily a disappointment, but it would dip down in quality. Uh, but then again, you hadn't seen this movie before, so maybe your rankings have been reshuffled. Well, I don't know if I'd go that far, but there's definitely discussion to be had here. Had you seen Ghost of Mars before? I can't remember. I had seen it before, Alex, but I didn't catch it theatrically. I... I'm pretty sure this was one of those uh, wonderful Netflix surprises uh, back when Netflix was not streaming, but it was just you just sent the DVDs and you had a list. But I, I don't know if you were like me, but I would just send a movie and I didn't know what was going to come back because I wasn't checking my list. So it was always a surprise. And I guess at some point I put Ghost of Mars in there and then it showed up and I watched it. And uh, I watched it today remembering very little about it. <laughs> <laughs> It was a long time ago, and I was watching a lot of movies, so sometimes, you know, that just happens. But you know what? What I had today that I didn't have back then was that uh, I was uh, instantly able to point at people in the movie and go like, hey, we've done episodes with these actors. (laughs) It's a Contrarians reunion. I think Ice Cube is the only big star in there that hasn't shown up on the Contrarians before. What did uh, Natasha Henstridge show up on? Well, not on the main feed, but uh, we talked about the whole nine yards on Patreon. Oh, Dodoy. Yeah, I was trying to remember why she looks so familiar, and that's because we had recently discussed her. And then uh, Clea Duvall, she's just like one of the, you know, that quintessential. Girls. Yeah, exactly. That girl, <laughs> girls. I was trying to th- like look over her filmography and like even try to determine what I would know her from or what like I would pin as like the thing I know her from. I, maybe Zodiac? I don't know. Identity? I've never seen Identity. Oh, oh. One, you must remedy that, especially because you're you're a big James Mangold fan. And uh, and two, because uh, it's a good movie. And I guess three, because Claire Duvall is in it. <laughs> well, and she was also, um, within the past year, I think. Can't hardly wait. It's been in the past year, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 150. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of returning players here. And, you know, the master of horror himself, John Carpenter. Uh, an interesting film. <laughs> Came out 
literally three weeks before the world changed forever on August 24th, 2001. What a fascinating uh, lineup of movies came out on that day as well, which we'll get to in the second portion of this. Uh, But before we get to Ghosts of Mars and why we're covering this, why we're discussing this, uh, let's go ahead and explain who we are and what we do. Again, I'm Alex. That's Julio. We comprise the Contrarians. Here on our podcast, we like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine, as any and all returning listeners would know. Find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, a lot of times known as certified fresh, usually about 85% and above. And what we will do is bring those movies down to size, explain maybe why they don't deserve that delicious IP, that certified fresh logo to go. Well, no one makes DVDs really anymore, but you remember there for a while that anything that was certified fresh got that sticker on their DVD Blu-ray release. Absolutely. Uh, You you just, uh, you saw it on TV too, like commercials. Yep. Yep. You still do on that. I remember the first one I saw it on was uh, X-Men First Class had the certified fresh logo on it. I was like, oh, come on, man. (laughs) Like it's over. (laughs) The dream is dead. (laughs) We lost the battle. (laughs) Bring those movies down to size, maybe some overrated uh, acting, a bit melodramatic screenwriting, direction, poor score, what have you. Just take it down a few notches and explain maybe why that high rating doesn't tell the whole story. Conversely, we'll find a movie that is lowly rated on Rotten Tomatoes, typically about 30% and below, uh, being that Ghost of Mars is 23% on Rotten Tomatoes. It falls soundly into that category. And as you can imagine, we'll beef that movie up, talk about maybe some of the underrated aspects of underrated acting, bold storytelling choices, uh, good direction, sets, CG even sometimes. Score is always a big one we fall back on. And, you know, with John Carpenter at the helm of the music in this, it's not too hard to say that, you know, we're we're not going to circle back to that. Uh, All in an attempt to say that, you know, Art is subjective. You can be as over the moon about something as you want to be or as cynical about anything if you truly set your mind to it. And that also, like I just mentioned a moment ago, the those Rotten Tomatoes scores, ratings, grades, whatever you want to call them, they don't always really tell the whole story. And Rotten Tomatoes doesn't seem too interested in clarifying any of that. So we're here to do that work. And that all goes into the first portion of our podcast, the first half, the first part, whatever you would like to call it. Uh, We call it Contrarian's Corner. Julio, if listeners want to know how we really feel about the movie we're discussing today, uh, they just have to tune into the second half, the second part. That is correct. Part two, aptly titled Real Talk. That's where we get real. We we tell you how we really feel about the movie. We stop pretending. We don't worry about the tomato meter score anymore. And we just uh, tell each other and the audience what it was like watching this movie and what's really going on through our heads. Alex has watched Ghost of Mars for the first time. And like I said, I watched it a long time ago. So this movie has never come up on our, our discussions, and uh, and now it's going to come up all the time, I imagine, because it's part of the, the contrarian's canon, as Alex likes to say. So uh, come real talk, uh, I'll find out how Alex feels, Alex will find out how I feel, and all of you will find out how we both feel. So that brings me to the next point here. Why is this being entered into contrarian's canon? Why? <laughs> Uh, well, it's it's the August bonus episode, and bonus episodes are usually picked by our lovely patrons, patrons such as Katie and Ot, who uh, gave us this movie, demanded that we cover it, that we give it the contrarian treatment. Katie messaged me a reason. We're gonna read it when we get to real talk. That Excellent. seems more appropriate. Uh, but there is a reason. Unlike, and this feels like a good <laughs> place to bring this up. Uh, 
Jamie Russell, who picked last month's bonus episode, Last Action Hero, he messaged us on, on the Patreon page to let us know that he hadn't realized that he had given us two movies with that started with Last. Because it was Last Action Hero for the main feed and Last Black Man in San Francisco uh, for the Patreon feed. Completely unintentional. And I, I think that makes it even more amusing. <laughs> yes. Well, Katie and Oti, they just said, do go to Mars. And we said, yes, we will. Here we are. It was supposed to be a routine prisoner transport. Williams was arrested on the suspicion of murdering six rail workers. The bodies were hung and decapitated. But here, a million miles from home. Hello? Anybody here? Drop your weapon. I ain't going back. They're about to discover nothing is what it seems. Here we are indeed. Uh, I watched this on Pluto TV today. Uh, Julio, where did you watch this? I tried to watch it on Pluto TV, and uh, it kept crashing. It wouldn't load. And I tried it on my on my smart TV, then I tried it through my Xbox, and then I was like, you know what? <laughs> That's fine, John Carpenter. I will pay for your damn movie. So I, uh, I rented it on Amazon, and it was fine. They probably were, the system was overloaded because one other person was watching it in the same city and they'd never come across that before. It was an emergency. They had to order a new print, a second print. I mean, it's fine. Again, it's free, so I don't care. But but unfortunately, today it was free and it didn't work. So I got what I paid for. There you go. All right. 23% on Rotten Tomatoes, as I mentioned. Julio, let's see how many reviews that's based on. 109 reviews, so you yes. get a pretty good pool to choose from. <laughs> yes, uh, lots of them, and uh, there's a there's a fresh review that I picked for the second half that is a uh, it's from a big name, but uh, we'll save that for yeah. obviously a real talk. Hell yeah! So yeah, 23 percent with the tomato meter and 24 percent with the audience score. So that it's not one of those movies where it greatly differs. So Julio, what was the the 77 percent saying? Those that contributed to that nasty green splotch. All right, we have a few rotten quotes from the Rotten Tomatoes website. We're going to start with uh, Rob Gonzalez from eFilmCritic.com, who says, Ghosts of Mars is not Carpenter at his best. It may very well be Carpenter at rock bottom. Okay. Alex, if you had to, why would you? what would be your pick for Carpenter at rock bottom? Exclude this movie, so you don't spoil real talk. I don't know. I, I would have a hard time saying anything of John Carpenter's was rock bottom. Uh, you know, the mist. I had a lot of people get mad whenever I said that I like the mist more than Halloween. Well, that's because the mist sucks, <laughs> and you're an idiot for saying that. <laughs> he didn't direct the mist, did he? Yeah. No. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Not the mist. You're thinking of the, the fog, fog, homie. The fog. The yeah. fog. Uh, the mist is better than both of those movies. But well, he I, didn't I digress. Direct the fog. <laughs> he was a producer on it. Oh, he directed um, the fog. That that's why he he definitely directed the fog. He directed the nineteen eighty one. Yeah. Uh, oh, I thought you were talking about the one like from around the same time period as fucking uh, the mist, the remake no, no, from no, no, the no. mid two thousands. No, no, no. I did watch the, the classic, the original. That see, that's why I assume that because you never watch the fucking classic <laughs> horror movies. So that is surprising to me. Uh, I am just quickly going through here because I'm trying to think if there's anything I would consider bad. Uh, I mean, the village of the damned from 95 is like kind of 
comically bad. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> There's no rock bottom when it comes to John Carpenter. I was about to say, maybe I'll think of something to discuss in the second half, but yeah, I have too hard of a time. The correct answer is John Carpenter's rock bottom is Quentin Tarantino's ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> All right. Uh, next, Madel McDonough from TV Guide says, one of the movie's first images is a flashing autopilot sign, and that's how it seems to have been made. I like that review. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I like that. It, it was, it's clever. It's clever. Uh, I would just retort, well, Carpenter's autopilot is better than most filmmakers, so... What else you got? Yeah, they say all these things they mean is like digs and all it does is really just show that even when he doesn't give a shit, he's still just like (laughs) on fire. Still John Carpenter. Next, Michael Atkinson from Village Voice says, written, directed, and edited with the offhand shoddiness of a day worker thinking about his evening beer. That is uh, mildly offensive. I I, I mean, what's wrong with... Why Why do you have to bring day workers into this? You know, because you're implying that a day worker that's thinking about this evening beer does bad work. That is a horrible generalization of day workers. I also don't really understand, like, what the burn is here. Is like, he had already made his nut at this point. He was already one of the most <laughs> celebrated directors of modern time. And Sony was like, hey, man, can you do us a favor here? We'll pay you a bunch of money. <laughs> And everyone's like, what an idiot. <laughs> he was directing like he just wanted to uh, punch out and go grab a course light. Why not? Directing like Halloween 2. Like, it was just kind of like, <laughs> all right, let's go. You stand there. I have grandchildren that need to go to college. <laughs> exactly. That's why he came back to do the score for Halloween 3. He was like, all right, let's push this into overdrive. <laughs> um and let's close with Mary Ann Johansson, who says, little more than a heavy metal music video on Mars. That sounds badass. Again, what's what's the problem? Somebody tells you you're like the executive uh, the, the, at, at Universal or whatever, and they're like, hey, here's my pitch. 90-minute uh, long heavy metal music video on Mars directed by John Carpenter. Green light, red light. I think the answer is obvious. <laughs> yeah, especially if it was a few years earlier. like. Puff Daddy wants to make a music video that's going to be like crazy. Like the, I don't know if you've ever seen the music video for Victory, but that thing is just out of control. And I can see something like that here. He's just like, hell yeah. Get me, get me John Carpenter. Get me Carpenter on the phone. Tell him not to go anywhere. Uh, all right, Alex, that sets us up for the main event for Contrarian's Corner. Uh, take it away. For weeks, rumors have spread across Mars from outposts to settlements from town to town. Something that had been buried for centuries has just been uncovered. And as this mysterious force moves across the southern valley, it leaves behind only silence and death. As we do from time to time, especially when we deal with more futuristic and convoluted movies, such as Ghosts of Mars, we will visit our old reliable friend Wikipedia and uh, help them kick us off with the 
whoever the fine citizen was that whipped up the plot summation on here. Uh, And it says, set in the second half of the 22nd century, Mars has been 84% terraformed, giving the planet an Earth-like atmosphere. Martian society has become matriarchal, centering on the city of Chrissy, with smaller, far-reaching outposts connected by an expansive network of trains. In the wake of a series of mysterious incidents... Mars Police Force Officer Lieutenant Melanie Ballard is called before a tribunal to give testimony following a disastrous mission to the remote mining outpost Shining Canyon to retrieve convicted felon James Desolation Williams, of which she is apparently the only survivor. Uh, I did catch much like Halloween. This is not just Ghosts of Mars. It is John Carpenter's Ghosts of Mars. (laughs) Yes, that's it like, is. That's huge. Like anyone that gets that on their movie, that's big dick energy. And it's like subtle and classy. It's not Nicholas Wendig Rafen presents. It's nothing <laughs> like that. It's yeah. always, I'm sorry. It's not like Halloween because Halloween was Donald Pleasance in John Carpenter's Halloween. Because yeah, Ice, Ice Cube politely declined being on the, on the opening title. I was about to say, he gets first billing, but uh, he didn't have the Dr. Loomis you know, just swinging D of like, if I'm going to be in your movie, it is my movie. <laughs> but Ice Cube gets top billing and Jason Statham was not yet what he would, you know, become. Do you think if if they made a movie today where uh, Ice Cube teams up with Jason Statham, who gets first billing? Statham, right? I would think. Like Ice Cube hasn't made, I, I feel like he hasn't made a movie in a while. This would have been five years after Friday, which, you know, was big and. Cube is a big name, man. Uh, I, I guess to me it was just kind of surprising that they they got both got billing over Pam Greer. It was, but you know, come to find out, she got the Wes Craven treatment in this. <laughs> yes, she um, did. <laughs> and okay, so besides whole nine yards, Natasha Henstridge. Well, so he she's. Have you seen Species? Because I haven't. But that's that's her. That's big movie. it. Yes, that's that's it. I knew she had like a thing. And so that would make sense that this is the follow up here. But uh, Clea Duvall. And then does the, the old woman get, is it Joanna Cassidy? Does she get yes. billed here in the opening? Yeah, she does. She does. Because mm. I was wondering okay. who she was. <laughs> like, that name sounds familiar. <laughs> it is the outlier of the group here. Uh, just a loaded cast. And especially one of those that like, when you've never really heard of a movie and you see all the players involved, it's immediate intrigue. You know, whether you like it or not, you still want to, when it's over, you may feel about it one way or the other, but just seeing these names on, you know, all in the same movie, you're like, well, I have to see this now. John Carpenter directed it for crying out loud. I just want to know what his interactions with ice cube were like. And (laughs) you think they, uh, they had like jam sessions at the end of every shooting day. Oh God. When they were putting the score together, (laughs) consulting producer, ice cube. You just see Carpenter beatboxing. Oh, <laughs> Deborah Hill just come back to bed. Yeah. <laughs> we waste no time, though. The stage is immediately set. You know, I read that little blurb there, but that's all revealed to you. Like in the first five minutes, there's no pussyfoot and no dragon, you know, our feet on this. We get right to it. And we also get right to Jason Statham still trying to hold on to his hair uh, <laughs> as Sergeant Jericho Butler. You watch something like this, and I mean, let's just talk about Jason Statham here, because he, he's not what we know. He's not Turkish, and you know, he's not the characters we've come to love him for. He's like kind of a perv, and he's he's like the Stifler of, of an action movie. 
Yeah, and he's kind of a dickhead, but he's also like the relentless and ruthless kind of mercenary because they, you know, they're soldiers after all. It's just so fascinating to watch him here before, you know, he became a major action star. Do you think Carpenter or anyone, you know, at Sony knew what they had on their hands here with a young Jason Statham? They're like, let's get him before he blows up. They were like a Spielberg with Matt Damon and Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> well, I mean, Snatch came out the year before this, but that also, you know, didn't necessarily light the world on fire. Yeah, that was um, just like, I'm sure in America, they were like, oh, that's just that quirky British movie. Yeah. Guy who? <laughs> like everyone's like, it's that weird Brad Pitt movie where, you know, it's a foreign film. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that came out in January of the same year. So they might have been filming in close proximity to one another. Uh Looks like this was filmed in August of 2000. So he probably made both those movies within the same year. But yeah, talk to me. Tell me what you see here with Jason Statham. Like, it, it was weird for him to have to try to score a woman, you know, because he's just become like the <laughs> sexual dynamo. Yes, but context is everything, uh, Alex. Because it, it, this is, this movie, it's very subtle. It doesn't really like hit you over the head multiple times with this, but they are a matriarchy in in Mars. Like that's, I mean, you know, you see it in the opening scroll, the opening titles, and then there's a couple of references to it during the movie. But basically, we are led to understand that this is a world, this is a society that is ruled by women. And so in such a society, I can understand that somebody that's just pure testosterone, like Jason Statham, would actually be at a disadvantage. He, he very much fits the character of, like, the enemy. He's, like, toxic masculinity, even. And and he acknowledges it. He uh, Then he says something. At some point, he tells Natasha Hensridge, like, oh, you are under the spell of the woman, or you work for the woman, or something. And mm-hmm. uh, I, that's actually pretty clever casting. And I, I mean, I guess you could have cast, if you were just casting for type, you could have gotten anybody that is that is associated with that kind of figure of, you know, the, the alpha male. But, of course... It, the problem is that you cast somebody that's too big of a star, like you were talking about Brad Pitt, for example. You know, you put Brad Pitt in that role, yeah, he fits the bill as far as uh, you know being an alpha male, but but it's it's a little too much star power. So you got Jason Statham right at the beginning of his career when he could still play this role, and, and you know you would buy it. So um, that's cool. He can handle action. He can handle the 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 dirty talk, the flirting, mm-hmm. and, and he can die like the best of them. You don't see Jason Statham die these days. That was uh, <laughs> It's so nice when, when he was vulnerable. He was uh, originally set to play Desolation, but he was replaced by Ice Cube because producers thought the movie needed some star power. Uh, Ooh, you know, no disrespect to Ice Cube, but, if, but a few years later, yeah, I'm sure they were <laughs> like, man, we could have just had Statham at the helm here. Um. I mean, right away, the things I'm taking notes on are like practical sets, you know, wardrobes, things like that that I go crazy for. Uh, there's a topical part where they like walk out into the Mars atmosphere and I think Pam Greer says like, we don't even have to wear, you know, masks anymore. And it's just like, oh, I thought that too. And then I got sick. <laughs> I mean, she is one of the first to go. So, God, I hate this thing. You'll get used to it. Two years ago, we were still wearing full face breathers. You know, if it seems like we're bouncing around with this movie, it's because the movie itself bounces around. And, the, you know, it it's not that it has a hard time focusing. It's more of like it just has a lot to do within a constrained time period. It's an hour and a half long. 
John Carpenter had a lot he wanted to do. There's a lot of fucking action and a lot of exposition throughout this, but it's that type of movie where we know we're watching flashbacks because we see what's in the present day. Do you, do you usually go for these Julio, these movies that are basically a series of flashbacks and then we cut back to, you know, someone's telling it's, you know, Titanic. Someone is telling the story. And- it's, it's the vantage point approach. Something happens and then we get to see someone else's uh, point of view. That's how I felt uh, with this movie. We would get up to a point in the story and then we would jump back and be like, okay, but what was Pam Greer doing in the meantime? And then she would catch up and then we'd be like, all right, but now what, what was Jason Statham doing? And, and so on. I like it. I like it when it's clever. Uh, I think that sometimes it feels, in, in some movies, it can feel just like padding. Like, oh, you had a 30-minute movie and you just padded the hell out of it with other points of views and flashbacks and whatever. But in this case, that's almost like th- the whole point of the movie is to give us the different points of views of these characters because they're so different. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, you have the alpha male in Statham, you have the the alpha woman in Pam Greer, and then you have kind of like the cool, steady hand in Natasha Henstridge, the rookie uh, with Cleo uh, Duvall. So yeah, I want to see what they were all doing at this crisis. So these incidents that we're referring to, there's a lot of fucking death and, you know, people are dying mysteriously and we're talking not just like getting shot. It's bodies turned inside out, decapitated, hung upside down, heads on pikes, that type of shit. And, you know, to me, my immediate thought is like, yeah, dog, you're on a foreign planet. There's probably (laughs) people there that don't want you there. But then again, this movie takes place that the official year is 2176. So who the fuck knows what happens in between now and then? I mean, if they make Mars inhibitable, 84, 84% terraformed, 84% on Rotten Tomatoes, Mars <laughs> is uh, livable now. But, you know, it's one of those things of like, John Carpenter's really good about this universe building mm-hmm. and uh, not spoon feeding you everything in the sense of, you know, we talked about on Patreon recently, Escape from New York, which... That has a lot of similar aspects in the sense of there's a lot of these things going on in this universe, this fictional universe that we don't know about. And, you know, it's not going to be fed to us. So we just got to pay attention. And with this, there's a lot of questions that remain unanswered. But just the idea of being on this foreign planet. And uh, are you like me? Like you saw what they were looking at and dealing with. I would have been on the first train out of town and been like, fuck this. I'm out of here. <laughs> well, it is their job to go there and, and investigate. I, True. The, the outlandish part for me. They aren't it, teenagers in the in the woods. You know, exactly. Camping. They're getting paid yeah. to do this. Defund the Mars police. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they're very well well armed. Uh, no, th- to me, the, the kind of weird thing was that they seemed so convinced that Ice Cube had been doing this. And this is my problem, not not the movies. Ice Cube, I associate, unfortunately, with his comedies. I Because, you know, I don't really follow <laughs> his music. I don't... Uh, you know, I've seen him in Anaconda. And, and then I've seen the trailers for, like, Are We There Yet? And Friday. And I know that the, the, the joke in those comedies is that he's a gruff dude and he has to deal with all sorts of silliness. But there's still, uh, he kind of seems like a teddy bear. And so just knowing, you know, by process of elimination, you, you can tell like, okay, I saw the Ice Cube was in the credits and everybody keeps talking about this desolation guy. He has to be it. And so I'm thinking there's no way that Ice Cube killed all these people. It's Ice Cube. <laughs> he probably put on a show for them. But 
that was that was my hurdle, and it was kind of I, I was a little frustrated with the fact that Natasha Henstridge and Pam Greer and everybody else they they seem so uh, just so willing to believe that well, this massive this massacre was the the work of just this one man. To me, it seemed a lot more logical that uh, no, there's something bigger going on, and <laughs> you're going after mm-hmm. the wrong person. You've obviously never heard the all-time classic jam natural born killers with uh, ice cube and dr dre otherwise you'd be like oh no i totally believe that ice cube could do these things does he talk about fucking shit up on mars <laughs> nobody details murdering people in pretty graphic fashion how fascinating the, you know to have that public person <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right so one of the areas they go to interrogate they come across uh a science officer dr arlene whitlock who as we mentioned is played by joanna cassidy she becomes kind of the conductor of the the story from this point because she talks about how she got there she's basically in a holding cell and she's just you know been there fending these fuckers off and trying to stay alive and she was like on a, a routine expedition what was it? She was. They she were was in a hot air balloon, <laughs> dude. That was where I'm trying to get. That's I can't remember what they were actually doing because it was a hot air balloon she was in, and we get a hot <laughs> air balloon crash from this. But <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, she was there to explore. She's a scientist, right? And um, yeah, so she was. I, I think that the way it happened is like she was at, on, on the next town over, mm-hmm. and uh, and then like she said, like things got really bad in that town, so she escaped. Uh, as you do on a hot air balloon, <laughs> and then the hot air balloon crashed on this other town, and uh, and then she got stuck there. And uh, she doesn't say, "Hey, Ice Cube was terrorizing the town." <laughs> she implies that there's something else going on, and then eventually she tells him. Yes, she implies, and you know, eventually spills the beans on you know what the fuck's going on here. But this is a our. Introduction to Desolation Ice Cube, the prisoner they're there to collect. Uh, they're trying to figure out exactly how they're going to do so. We get some catty dialogue between uh, Ballard and Jericho. Uh, this is kind of where Clea Duvall comes into into play in a bigger way. Officer uh, Bashira Kincaid. I mean, all these names sound like they're from the future. So <laughs> Jericho, Bashira, Desolation. Now I can't hang around my mama because I scared. So we start to figure this out as an audience where we go to some first person points of view of, you know, some of these miners that are uh, disoriented or, you know, decaying. This almost in a sense begin to look like zombies. And the first person point of view is not unlike, you know, Alien 3, where we get the POV from the aliens perspective. It's clearly, you know, not human because they can kind of see heat. It's a, it's a lot like the Predator, actually. They can kind of see the heat and the, the tracking of human movement and that type of shit. Uh, it's, a, it's a combination of uh, Alien 3, Predator, and Evil Dead. There you go. That Beautiful. Love it. So watching this, this wasn't your first time, but for me, Julio, I was like, okay, so these fuckers like aliens, are they, you know, like uh, Vincent D'Onofrio and Men in Black, where they're these huge bugs that are underneath, you know, human flesh, that type of thing. So I was curious to see what was going on and where this was going to go. I put on my notes here that I love the crossfades because I'm a big fan of that. 
Like I, I have it here too. I was like, uh, John Carpenter bringing back the the dissolves. Oh he, yeah, he doubles, he triples down on the dissolves on this one. Like sometimes it's within the same shot. Like it dissolves to the same shot. <laughs> they just moved a little bit inside the, the the shot, which I guess gives it a little bit of a, a ghostly quality. Mm-hmm. You know what we're talking about? Like you see Ice Cube in the middle of the frame, and then you dissolve to the same shot, but now Ice Cube is a little bit to the right. And it almost looks like he's a ghost that's just floating. <laughs> it's uh, it's good. I don't know. You know, I'm not at this point. It's John Carpenter. So you don't question a master. You just let him take you for a ride. And uh, if the purpose of those dissolves is simply to just evoke that feeling because of the title of the movie, that's all I need. It's just fucking cinematic. I mean, there's a couple like classic slow fades or cross fades in Halloween. So it's uh, not his first rodeo. He knows what he's doing up there. There's a wipe at some point, I think, which was just the the, the peak of the <laughs> the filmmaking flex. It's it's in one of the flashbacks where you know we're gonna what's Jason Statham doing or what was Jason Statham doing, and then there's like a wipe across the screen, like it's a Star Wars movie. <laughs> it's like Jason Statham and C three PO just walking across the desert. It's a it was amazing. I was like, ah, hey, there you go, old fashioned filmmaking. So they come across another miner who's like trapped himself in a, a vehicle, like a, a little truck or a space rover or some shit. And he's just like screaming, don't let it out. It's in me. And they're trying to, you know, so naturally white people syndrome. They immediately <laughs> try to open the door and let it out. And this guy ends up slitting his own throat. And this was I was trying to figure it out. I was like, OK, is it like a curse? Is it like Jason goes to hell where it's like this little bug that just goes into people? Is it bug with Ashley Judd? Like, what the fuck's going on here? <laughs> Were you afraid that uh, Statham was going to get it? That he was going to become the baddie? Well, I, did, I didn't know what it was at this point. So, like, I thought he was going to, like, blow the door open and then this monster was going to tackle him or some shit. I, I didn't know what to expect. Uh, during all this, though, Ice Cube's able to, you know, free himself. He's quickly secured, though. We just, it's, I think it exists to learn that he's dangerous and should not be taken lightly. Uh, our lead here, Natasha Henstridge, Lieutenant Ballard, uh, we see at the beginning of the movie, but here also Ice Cube's able to pretty quickly dress her down and catches that she's high. I didn't catch what drug it was she was taking. It was just like pills or something, right? Yeah. she, she Apparently, it wasn't like something super bad for you. So probably something, you know, it wasn't meth. <laughs> so, well, we did quibble. But like I said, it's it's universe building, and it also adds an interesting wrinkle to this character. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, in, in present day equivalent, it was like she was smoking a joint or something. And she was like, I'll be fine yeah. by the time we get to pick up Ice Cube. Still, she's a cop. Shouldn't be doing that shit. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's a different society, man. I, <laughs> it's a different time. Yeah, literally. Like, uh, okay, in that same train ride, did you get the feeling that Pam Greer was flirting with uh, Clea Duvall? Or even more so that they were an item? A little bit. I thought I was just kind of dreaming that. <laughs> no, no, wishful because thinking. I, I, I think that the because then Pam Greer literally hits on Natasha Hensridge, and then Natasha Hensridge later tells Jason Statham that basically, if I understood correctly, that Pam Greer knew that Natasha Hensridge wanted to move up the ladder, and so that basically she was putting herself out there, as in like, well, do you know, do you want do you want a piece of this if you want to move up. But the Shaheen Stritch didn't want to play that game. Like, all that stuff. And I'm like, that sounds incredibly uh, unprofessional. <laughs> but then at the same time, I was 
that was my thought. I was like, well, it's a different society. They're like, maybe uh, in in that world, the matriarchy had decided that it's okay for superiors to flirt with uh, subordinates. Or maybe it's a, 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 even more to the point. Maybe this is what Carpenter was trying to say. Uh, humanity is humanity. And no matter what societal structure you have, uh, people are going to be horny for each other. <laughs> so <laughs> whatever the case, I, I felt that... Especially when Pam, you look like Pam Greer or Cleo Duvall. Exactly. I, I, well, and, and Jason Statham. Like, I felt that uh, everybody here was very flirtatious except for uh, Natasha Hensrich and Ice Cube. Yeah, Cube was no nonsense. Straight to business. <laughs> Cube just wanted to, I guess, get to the bigger guns. Uh, that's his journey in the movie. Was he wearing pajama pants, Alex? What's what's the deal with the the costuming here? He was wearing like New Jack pants, the um, like baggy cargo camo pants. I was just like, hell yeah, dude! That that was an immediate flashback to the turn of millennium, as was the the score in this with like the just very generic like new metal style, like I wanted some screamo in that in that final fight. That's cool. That's cool for Cube. Like dress from comfort when you're uh, trying to survive an alien planet. It's uh, he's like Letterman and Man on the Moon. Like we're gonna put makeup on you. <laughs> no, you're not. I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna do what I want. <laughs> so yeah, we see uh, Jericho, Jason Statham wandering around, and he discovers some heads on pikes, and basically finds this crazy fucking tribe. Sadly for us, the audience, he takes a closer look at some of these severed heads that are you know, on these pikes in the middle of the fucking Mars desert. And we learn along with Jericho that Pam Greer's been decapitated and her head's on display now. I I got two questions, Alex. Is there a director's cut that shows that that fight, that battle where Pam Greer lost her head? Do you think that that was shot and it's hiding somewhere in John Carpenter's basement? I would doubt it. I assume... I would assume at that point in time, John Carpenter had too much respect for Pam Greer and also like just knew that she wasn't going to go for it. So he's just like, all right, let, well, it's going to take four hours to get a mold of your head, but then you're done. And she's like, <laughs> all right. We get to see Claire Duvall get decapitated. So <laughs> it's true. Pam. In addition to, you know, a, a random other guy who's trying to help them defend. I looked it up. I tried to find and now there's not a director's cut of this, sadly. Oh, uh, well, question number two. Who went home with that uh, Pam Greer head? Pam Greer? Tom Savini. I don't know. <laughs> uh, that's a good question. If you were in a movie like this, like a you know a big time Hollywood movie, and they took a mold of your head and used it for like a decapitation scene like that, would you want to keep it or would it freak you out too much? Oh, I would keep it. Kelly wouldn't though, so I <laughs> I, I would have to like give it to you or something. But I would want possession of it because I wouldn't want some random stranger to have a bust of my head. That'll be weird. That's kind of how I feel. I would think it was funny. Like I would, you know, see, I'd kind of ruthless like that. I'd be like, Hey, catch, you know, to my mom or something. (laughs) (laughs) We've got a situation here. Sergeant, you're breaking up. I can hardly hear you. The commander's dead. So yeah, we've discovered this crazy tribe. Uh, We come across three kind of recluses, uh, three survivors. And uh, we learned that they kind of watched this all happen, that this red fog, a mist, if you will, like wanders in and <laughs> turns a mist these- or a fog. <laughs> Not the same movie, Alex. 
it turns these miners fucking crazy. They start cutting themselves, inflicting damage on themselves, fighting one another. You know, they can't really communicate beyond grunts and yells afterwards. And so it's clearly like a chemical or, um, you know, it's, it's a prelude. It's an early iteration of the happening because we learned that it's basically just the planet defending itself yes and it's turning these people crazy and to the point where they're killing anyone that's not part of the tribe and decapitating them and ripping off limbs and just you know committing horrific uh not only self-mutilation but as it says here ritualistic executions yeah the the three guys they tell jason statham that they lost contact and he goes with whom <laughs> like marky mark um somehow the these bacteria or you know whatever makes up this red mist slash fog Mm -hmm. that's turning them crazy has also turned their leader into okay i thought evil alice cooper but you can probably come up with a better description for this guy uh is he a a big kiss fan is he more of a marilyn manson kind of guy what what do you make Uh of this the big leader yeah I'm looking at the poster right now, and it's just like Marilyn Manson. Like Manson back in the late '90s had that signature one eye that it was just the pupil, and that's what this looks like here. God, it's a terrible poster. It <laughs> it looks like a like a really shitty independent wrestling poster, pretty much. <laughs> but yeah, I think if I had to guess, yeah, Marilyn Manson or some of the shock rockers of that time is the look they were going for. They're trying to trigger Ice Cube and get a genuine reaction from him. I guess just I'll kill you white devil that type of thing. <laughs> Big Daddy Mars was his name. Wisely they never call him that in the movie. No. Played by Richard Citroni. Yeah, I'd say Marilyn Manson. He's just kind of an amalgamation of bad guys from other movies. When he gets burned, he definitely has like an Alice Cooper look to him, so I'll give you that one as well. But he looks like the bad guy from so many like just off-brand video games of the of the moment. I think it was that was the point. It's just like this could be anybody. And also John Carpenter was tired and he's just like, I don't care. Just <laughs> do whatever. <laughs> he's like, just cast Jason Statham on that role. We're like, no, we already got him. He played in Jericho. And I'm like, okay, well, fuck it. Figure it out. <laughs> All right, Uno, Dos, Trace, this trio of survivors we come across, we quickly learn they're there to double-cross the cops as they're Ice Cube's men. (laughs) They're almost immediately outsmarted, though, by the women and, you know, put back in line. And um, Ballard, Natasha Henstridge is just like, hey, it's time we have to work together. It's us versus them. She basically, not basically, she says, like, I'm invoking martial law. She frees the other prisoners in this uh, holding cell they're in said, you know, it's time to work together, except for one, they keep contained because he's clearly got the itis, the the <laughs> fog, the mist overtook him. Uh, we learn about the drugs they do here. It reminded me for some reason of Looper that I'm always a fan of like these futuristic movies where the drugs look completely different because it would be so disappointing if like you're watching a movie based in, you know, 2160, whatever this is based in and the guy's just smoking a joint. It's like, man, I would hope like drugs have evolved more than that. In the next few years, so he's got kind of like this little just pouch that he's smoking. And uh, I think it's Cleo Duvall asks, is that drugs? And Jason Statham said, it turns your brain to Swiss cheese. 
<laughs> this guy gets stoned and then in an effort to impress this girl, he's going to open her can of beans for her and he chops his own fucking hand off. All practical. Yes. And that's, it's awesome. It's one of those scenes of like, I would say it was there to buy time, but it's a 90 minute movie. So it's just like, cool. You know me, when I saw him lift his little nub of a hand up and the blood squirt out, I was like, hell yeah. Not a computer was used for that. Computers were used elsewhere in this pretty primitive ones too. But for this, you know, they had <laughs> someone hitting the plunger. It's amazing. It's, it's really gory. It's really gross. And it's really funny. So it's, uh, it's Carpenter just giving you that moment of relief before before a big action sequence. I was I was a big fan. It's also okay. So Natasha Henstridge, she steps up. Like we we lost Pam Greer, who was the leader of this team, and uh, Natasha Henstridge just decides to take over and sets everybody straight, tells them what's what, and then uh, I don't know who if it's one, two, or three, but she she even like tussles with one of them just to kind of assert her authority it's it's pretty impressive did you you know our experience with natasha hanser is just pretty limited so did you think she had it in her from the beginning did you were you expecting her to take over or did you think that ice cube was going to be calling the shots since he was you know first build well it's a matriarchy so i just assumed as it should be because women are smarter than men and eventually will figure out a way to take over so uh <laughs> that was kind of my thing from the jump is like i was expecting the you know Pam Greer obviously kicking ass and being the rookie, uh, you know, it made sense that Cleo Duvall wasn't really cracking the whip. So I was kind of surprised it took that long for Ballard to really assume a position of power. But again, that goes to like the universe building. I think the um, Carpenter does in the sense of she obviously has some trauma and some things she's working through that we, the audience, don't exactly know about. We just have to understand that she's going through some shit. Also, she was really high the first half of the movie. <laughs> That'll do it, too. So it's okay, man. You do whatever. You do you, Ice Cube. <laughs> so they go back out into the crisp Mars air. They're basically just calling this thing on the fly. They're Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat in there. They're just kind of calling it as it comes along. And then Ice Cube's just like, man, fuck this. And she's like, well, what are you going to do? And he said, well, what we should have done from the start. And she's just like, oh, no. And I wrote down the <laughs> quote because Ice Cube you know, double barrels up. He's got a gun in each hand, double fisting with Uzis, and he just runs and chaotically and absolutely reckless starts opening fire and yells, come on, you mindless motherfuckers. And, you know, just going for it. Because at this point, they're just trying to, like, move forward to get to the train station. So they're trying to, like, move from, like, holding cell to holding cell. It's like, um, in a lot of ways, kind of like Metal Gear Solid 3 and when you have to move through camps and shit like that. Uh, so they finally get to another station where they can go in and seek refuge. And this is where one of the guys that's like providing cover fire first gets his arm chopped off and then gets decapitated because these guys, I don't know what they are. They're like the, they're disc saws. They're things you put on. Old DVDs. <laughs> they're old AOL discs <laughs> yes. that they're just whipping at these guys. Yeah, it's like a disc blade. You know, in the future, there's no more Criterion. So, so it's just all Criterion discs that they're Ooh. just... Those savages. <laughs> it's, it, well, doing. it's, uh, you know, 100 years from now, or 500 years from now, the landfill where all the ET cartridges were buried, yes. they're going to find all the Royal Tenenbaums criterions that were never <laughs> sold. <laughs> I swear to God, that's like, I've made this joke on here before. It's not even a joke. It's an observation. I've never been to a half-price books that didn't have a Royal Tenenbaums <laughs> criterion. 
So we get our first of two decapitations. Julio already mentioned the other one, which is, I mean, any movie where you get two decapitations, fuck yeah. So Uno uh, Williams, who we find out is Desolation's brother, dies on the battlefield. And the other guy, I think it's Dos, gets stabbed. And Ice Cube pulls him in and he goes, where's your brother? And he's like, he didn't make it. And then he goes, oh, God, and then dies. <laughs> it's like uh, it's like saving Pride Ryan. Just <laughs> people dying left and right. It's it's an, an epic battle where, I mean, it's how many people do we have on our team? It's like not even 10, right? There are maybe seven, eight. And, mm-hmm. uh, and there's like, I don't know, 200 zombie miners <laughs> that are coming at them. It's a... a you mentioned video games earlier, and it's it's kind of like that. I mean, they're they're you just uh, they're mowing down all these monsters coming at them, and it's just there's no end in sight. It, it's, it's literally uh, Call of Duty zombies. It's like that mode in that game with Ice Cube as as, as your skin. Well, yes, yes, making it all the better. So finally, Dr. Arlene Whitlock admits that it's her fault, basically like exorcist style. They were there conducting, you know, experiments and whatnot, and they went into like this mine and they didn't send a canary in there first. They they went in and <laughs> this big red mist followed them out. It was trapped in there for God knows how long, how many millennia, and uh, they let it out. What is the is it Zuzu Pazuzu? That was I have Exorcist on the brain after recently watching that documentary on it, but it's just like that, you know. Let out the devil in this case, she let out this fog that inhibits people and turns them into mindless killing machines. Just prove that humans fuck everything up, no matter where they go. <laughs> just colonize Mars. They just release an ancient evil. And also, like you know, people will still politic, deny, deny, deny until there's overwhelming evidence. Then be like, oh yeah, that was my bad. <laughs> All her Twitter followers were like, oh, no, she was forced to say that. <laughs> she should have pleaded the fifth. Yeah. <laughs> Statham facing almost certain death is just really horned up and almost <laughs> scores with Natasha Henstridge, but uh, chaos reigns. He scores and- a kiss, which is more than mm-hmm. I expected him to get here. It, it, because I was surprised. Okay, were you surprised that that she, she finally gave in? Extremely, yes. Yeah, I mean, I guess that the... The situation was dire enough that I probably would have just gone with whoever at that point, Tres, even <laughs> just the dead guy. It just we're about to die, and uh, might as well go out uh, in a blaze of glory. When else am I gonna get to uh, fuck Jason Statham? But she had been so uh, not standoffish because they had kind of like a playful back and forth. But uh, up till then, she she hadn't really shown any interest. In him, in that way, right? It seemed like she just mm-hmm. wanted to be friends, and I guess this is just to prove that persistence pays off. Like Statham, when he wasn't killing monsters, he was diligently going after Natasha Henstridge, <laughs> laser focused. No Pam Greer, no Clea Duvall, and and eventually that paid off. Is a man on a mission. Yeah, and yeah, nearly accomplished it. So Ballard, Natasha Henstridge actually gets infected. So they throw her outside of the the holding cell, the bunker, whatever you want to call it, that they're in. And, uh, you know, to try to ease the pain, they give her one of her pills. And I guess this helps her fight it off or she just through willpower is able to fight off the infection. But she's able to kind of spit it back out like, you know, a curse type thing. Yeah, the 
the Martian bacteria. They were not ready for human drugs. No. <laughs> they got in there and was like, fuck this. That that red mist was really high for the rest of the movie. Yes. So she has to convince them that she's okay. She's like, let me back in. They open the door and they have the guns pulled on her. And they're like, is it you? She's like, duh. <laughs> I was bummed it wasn't like um, X-Men where, uh, you know, he's like, Logan, is it you? How's it, how do I know it's you? You're a dick. Okay. We're good to go. <laughs> uh, she looks at Statham. He's like, uh, we almost had sex and then you just threw me out the door. Well, she did use, she threw back at Ice Cube one of his lines of dialogue about, you know, when the tide's high, you got to get out, like that type of thing. So they're figuring out what they're going to do. She is watching on the security camera. She has a great line of shit. They made a battering ram. So so these fuckers are brain dead at this point, but they still have, you know, the masonry and carpentry skills to put together a battering ram because they, they need fresh meat. They need to fulfill their ritual of killing. So this just turns into a huge fight, both uh, in and around the bunker that they're in. Quan Chi with long hair gets set on fire at one point. <laughs> and again, practical. You can clearly just see a guy in like the flame suit like ah it's like a war movie but with with an epic metal score and i i was watching this and i was like how did they not get john carpenter to direct one of those big battle episodes of game of thrones because that it seems like he was born to do that all this would have been just a, a warm-up to do that but uh it just didn't happen i don't know i guess he was busy cashing his checks second time i saved your life yeah run it tab it's just all out chaos in this. Uh, you know, they're fighting him off. They finally get to the train to head back and all seems good. But then Ballard makes a call of, you know, we got to go back. And, you know, she makes some valid points. But again, this is just white people shit of like, <laughs> we got to go back and save the day. This is going to keep happening. And, you know, they're just going to grow in numbers and this isn't going to stop. So we need to take them all out while we can. And there's like no thought put to the plan. So it is, it's again, it's just absolute pandemonium, just gunfire. And uh, they're trying to set some charges so they could just blow up that entire colony there uh, during all this. Not for lack of trying. Uh, Clea Duvall's got two pistols and just shooting anything that moves, but she gets decapitated by one of the real Tenenbaum DVDs. And <laughs> I did yell because it's not often you see multiple decapitations like that in a movie. Did you? Okay. So were you expecting her to go next? I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I mean, I knew that Ballard made it, but I wasn't sure if anyone else did. What a, uh, Statham has the worst death of all of them. They just like crowd around him and just maliciously, repeatedly stab him over and over and over again. Yeah, he doesn't get the DVDs. He he just gets the he gets the streaming. <laughs> <laughs> he gets it bad. Uh, the only people that escape are Ballard and uh, Desolation, right? Yeah, yeah. They, they, at the end, yeah, they, they get back on the train, and it's just the two of them. So they head out, they make it together, and it seems as though they're, you know, turning over a new leaf, and, you know, the, the cop and the criminal, and it's going to be okay. Is this uh, Ice Cube's Oscar clip? Uh, it's either this or the scene earlier that I was waiting to the second half of the show to talk about, where it's like, don't you believe in anything or fight for anything? It's like, I only look out for myself. He's like, that scene where they're talking about, you know, you need to believe in something. Mm-hmm. So it's either that or here. Here is where he go. He shows his mo- most range in the film, though, because he's like nice cube, and then he's an asshole. Uh, <laughs> because he, you know, he takes care of her. He stitches her up. 
because uh, she got cut really bad in the leg during the battle and, you know, takes care of her and makes sure she's going to be okay and then handcuffs her to a pole in the, the train because he's like, I got to get off. He's like, you're still a cop. You're going to turn me in. So his motivations make sense. Yeah, she seems almost I, I couldn't tell if she was naive or or be or manipulative because she tells him, yeah, when we get there, I'm going to tell him that you were innocent and that. That, yeah, that you, sh- you should be set free because you didn't kill all those people and blah, blah, blah. You saved my life and you helped us, blah, blah, blah. Uh, And I'm like, there's no way that she really thinks that, right? They, they're still going to put him in jail. <laughs> they're they're going to throw the book at him. Uh, so either she she was naive enough to believe that that was going to, uh, that they were really going to set him free, or she knew that that wouldn't make a difference, but she still wanted to turn him in. Uh, what do you think? Do you think that Cheyenne's Rich was being manipulative or naive? Um... I think maybe a little bit of both. I think she she did have a soft spot for him at the same time. I'm not sure she was going to let him go completely like, you know, scot free. She's like, "I'll try really hard." <laughs> yeah. I'll put in a good word for you. We'll get your sentence reduced. I mean, he's still a criminal and shit, but he obviously didn't disembowel all those people. He disemboweled other people. Just not the <laughs> exactly. ones in that town. <laughs> not any ones they know about. Uh he hits her with catch you later. And it cuts back to her tribunal and she lied. She said, like, you know, I was the only survivor. She said he he got killed and so it's just me. No, she says that she woke up handcuffed and so he must have handcuffed her and escaped. That's right. Yeah. She either way, she lied to defend him. So that wraps up like the, the her testimony. And then we just I guess this is now you know, present. Is she in like a holding cell? Where is she? Uh, I thought it was like her hospital room, but I, I don't know why Scoop <laughs> was storming the hospital. Yeah. I was trying to figure out where she was, but you know, she, she, there's a level 10 or stage 10 alert that goes off and she thinks the spirits and the, you know, miners and all these crazy fuckers have, Come to take over where she's at, and so she kind of prepares herself to fight, and then, yeah, Ice Cube shows up and throws her a weapon. Throws her the shiniest gun I've ever seen in a movie. It's very, very, very shiny. It looks like uh, the golden gun of the Distoval from 007. (laughs) Uh, But they arm up, and they agree that they're going to fight together. She she says, you know, you'd make a good cop, and he says, you'd make a good criminal. They both just kind of, nah. And uh, he says, now let's kick some ass together. And then right as we fade to the credits, Ice Cube breaks a fourth wall and smiles at us, the audience. <laughs> Not making that up. If you haven't seen Ghost of Mars, at the very least, you owe it to yourself to watch the last 10 seconds of that movie. <laughs> so you can watch Ice Cube look at you and acknowledge that this movie was just fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, listen. You know what you watch, so don't you dare walk out there and talk shit about this movie. He you looked at I, you like you paid for this motherfucker. Yeah. You and I were in this together. You didn't walk out, so you know you were having a good time. It's one of those things, there's absolutely no way you can be mad at it either. It's just like, of course, this is how it ends. God bless. <laughs> like off into a franchise, off into Ghost of Mars 2. All right. Well, I mean, we tried to piece that together as best we could, I think, uh, and did a decent job of it. I think the second half of this episode is going to lend itself to some more interesting discussion, though, Julio. Are you ready to move along to Real Talk? Yes. Alex, I bet you that if you call John Carpenter right now and ask him to 
tell you the plot of Ghost of Mars, he wouldn't do as good a job as we did. <laughs> he would just be like, what? Who is this? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go to real talk. Yeah, 